Last week we watched as the attention or the topic of discussion in the letter that James wrote shifted from how we treat one another and how that will come back to us one day when we stand before the Lord to the subject of faith and more specifically a profession of faith that a person may make. And in verse number 14 he asked the question, what doth it profit or what advantage is there, what good does it do, though a man say he hath faith and have not works, can faith save him? And I want to make this very clear as we enter into this morning's message that the context of last week's sermon and the context of this morning's sermon is dealing with primarily the mere profession of faith. Somebody may say they're saved. Somebody may say they have a personal relationship with Christ. But what James is asking is this, is just a profession in and of itself enough to save someone. Just because somebody says, I'm a Christian, just because somebody says, oh yeah, I believe in God, is that enough to save them? And the answer clearly from the scripture is this, no, that is not enough. Just because a person says the right things does not prove that they are a Christian. And so what James goes on to explain in the next few verses is this, is that actions or works is what proves a person's salvation. He's not saying for a moment that a person has to do certain works in order to be saved, but the works in a person's life will either confirm or deny that testimony that is being made. And yet after that, as we talked about last week, I said it does get a little sticky because then you have to answer these questions. Will what works have to be present in a person's life? If a person is going to have to show forth works that would prove salvation, then what works have to be seen in that person's life? And then you have to answer this question, well, how often do you have to see those works? Do you have to see this every day? Do you have to see it every week? Do you have to see it every month? How often do you have to see it? And and those questions are harder to answer. But what James said in verse 18 is very important. He said, yea... A man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. And so what we concluded with is this, is that if you and I are going to claim to be saved, if you and I are going to claim to be Christians, then anybody ought to be able to look at how we live our lives and our life reinforce and support and validate our testimony of salvation. If our actions are casting doubt on our testimony at all, then there is something wrong with our actions. Our actions, our works ought to validate in the mind of anyone who would watch that we are the Christians we profess to be. And so we've got to give attention to our works, not because our works save us, but because our works prove to the lost that our faith is real and it is genuine. That in mind, this morning, I just want to say this as we enter into the message, a couple of things. First, the thoughts of this morning are going to overlap with the thoughts of last week. There's no denying that, but yet it was just too much text to deal with all in one sermon. So I understand there will be some overlap. That's all right. There's still something to get from this. The second thing is this, is you know that I like to begin each sermon with a thought, with an illustration that kind of gets our our mind going a particular way. And as I was thinking about an illustration for this week, I'll be honest with you, at, at the end of it I thought, that doesn't really illustrate, I mean it does, but it doesn't really illustrate the significance of what it is we're going to talk about. And then I came to this conclusion, there's really no illustration that I could give that would properly 
represent what it is we're going to talk about. So, so let me just say this. I know that what I'm about to say, it's going to seem silly. I understand that. And you may say, well, that was a very shallow illustration that you opened with. I get it. I understand it. But it, it, it makes a point that I think we can identify with, all right? So understand that I know that it's not the greatest thought in the world to open a sermon with, but it's what we're going with, all right? Okay, so we're good on that. All right, well, this morning I want to begin by telling you something that happens to me every year around July 24th. Every year around July 24th, Susie lets me know that she is going to be making me a birthday cake. I can get happy just thinking about it, but anyways. She lets me know that a birthday cake is in my near future. Now, whenever she tells me that, she does not have to explain to me what the cake is going to be. I already know what the cake is going to be. It's going to be a chocolate cake with an excessive amount of homemade icing placed on it. It's not in moderation. It's not in good health. It's nothing that I need to partake in, but that is the way it's going to be. It will be a chocolate cake with an excessive amount of homemade icing that she will put on the cake. I know it's not going to be white cake. It'll not be red velvet cake. It's not going to be anything like that. I know exactly what it'll be. Chocolate cake, too much icing, make your stomach hurt kind of cake. Anyways, that in mind, I want you to imagine for just a moment that July 24th is about to roll around, and she says to me, babe, I've got your cake ready, and she brings it to me on a plate, and all there is on it is chocolate cake, but no icing. If that is how she presented my birthday cake to me, is that the way the birthday cake is supposed to be presented? Not at all. It's not complete. Why? Because it's missing the icing. If she came to me a few minutes later and she said, okay, babe, I, I've corrected the situation. Here is your birthday cake. And she had taken away the cake part, but she just presented to me a bowl of uh, the icing. Again, no cake with it. And she said, okay, babe, here is your cake. Is that the way it's supposed to be? Well, no. It might be good, but it's not the way the cake is supposed to be. How's the cake supposed to be? The cake with the icing and too much of it. That is the way it's supposed to be. So I want us to think about something with that silly little story, the simplicity of it. Here's what I want us to think about. The cake and the icing work together with each other. They work with each other to do this to complete one another. One without the other may be okay, but it's not what it could be or what it should be. And so they work one with another to complete each other. And that's what brings about the product one is hoping for, that being myself. So that in mind, we'll come back to that in just a couple of moments. But this morning, here's what we're going to do. We're going to read a few verses in just a couple of moments, and we're going to read this word that I'm sure many of us are familiar with. We've probably all read it before. Uh, some of us have probably even used it at some point in the past. But we're going to deal with this word this morning that is the word justified. 
the word justified. We get words like justification from it, but this word justified is the word that we're going to read in the Scripture in the next couple of moments. And I want us to understand the definition of this word justified as we enter into the sermon today. It simply means this, to be declared righteous. To be declared righteous, okay? So if someone is justified, here's what that means. It means that the person has been declared righteous or one who is in right standing. And so here's what we see in verse number 21. James says or asks the question, Was not Abraham our father justified by works? when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar. And so he is asking in verse number 21, Was not Abraham our father, the father of the Jewish people, was he not justified or declared righteous by his works? If you look down in verse number 25, James brings up another uh, character that the people of the Jews most likely would have been familiar with. He says, likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works. Was not also, or likewise also, was not Rahab the harlot justified by works? So was she not also justified or declared righteous by what she did? And the answer to both of those questions would be yes, That is how they were justified. That is how they were declared righteous, through their works or through their actions. In verse number 22, it says that the, or verse number 21, it says the actions of Abraham was this, is that he offered Isaac, his son, upon the altar. In verse number 25, he said the actions of Rahab were these, that she had received the messengers way back in the Old Testament, that she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way. This is right before the people of Israel took the city of Jericho in that first battle. So I want us to see this, that, that James says, is this not so? Is this not the way that it is that both Abraham and Rahab, though completely different in who they were, their backgrounds and what they accomplished and, and what they did with their lives, were they not justified or declared righteous by their works? And the answer is, yes, that is what justified them. That is what declared them righteous by what they did. Now, as we think about that, keep this in mind, okay? Again, this is very important to the context. James is talking about one's testimony in the eyes or in the sight of other people. This has nothing to do with their position before God. This is very important, okay? This is talking about not their justification before God, which would involve some kind of works or some kind of actions. It is talking about their position in the eyes of man. So he says that they were justified, again, declared righteous, in the eyes of this world based on what they did that people were able to see It validated or it authenticated their testimony of being a person of faith. All right? It makes sense, then, if you think about that, that he would say again in verse number 26, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Understand this, please. That if someone claims to have faith, a saving faith or a profession of faith, 
But there are no works to justify that person or to declare them righteous. Then he said, works, faith without works is dead as much as a person in their physical body is dead without the spirit or without breath. If a person doesn't have breath, they don't have life. And he says, in the same manner, in the same fashion, if a person does not have works, then their faith, for all reasonable reasons, uh, for all reasonable expectations, that is dead and worthless and of no real value. So are we understanding this? I, I hope that we are. Are we following this? James continuing on the thoughts of profession of faith versus the reality and the genuineness of faith. He said the works have to be there. They just have to be present. Well, to build upon that, notice what he said in verse number 22. He said, Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect. He says, seest thou. What, what does it mean whenever James says, seest thou? It means this. You understand this, don't you? You realize this, don't you? You discern this to be true, don't you? That this is the way that it is. He says of Abraham, which would also have been true of Rahab. He says, seest thou how faith wrought with his works? What does it mean when he says that, or he asks the question, that Abraham's faith wrought with his works. Well, it means this, that it worked with his works. Okay, it, it was in connection with his works, okay? So the faith of Abraham, that profession of faith, that declaration of faith, here is what happened. His works worked with his declaration of faith. They complemented one another. His actions complemented his profession. And he says in verse number 22, do you understand this? Do you see this? Do you discern this? Do you realize this? That it was with the working of his faith with his works. It was with that, that with the works or by works through his works, that his faith or profession of faith was made perfect or complete. So here's James, and he is saying, What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works, can faith save him? Is the, is the declaration of faith in and of itself enough to save a person? And James says, No. You must have the actions. You must have the works. You must have the proof. You must have the evidence. The life must validate what it is a person is saying. Now, again, is that tricky? Is that complicated at times because of how people live? Well, of course it is. But he goes on to say, think about Abraham. Think about Rahab. It is their works that in our minds they have been declared righteous to be everything that they said they were. And he said, you need to understand this. He said it was the faith and the works working together that the faith was validated or made perfect or made complete because of the works. 
They work one with another. Now, I'm not trying to be silly, but I just want to try to tie all this together. It's kind of like the birthday cake, one without the other. It's not to say that there's not a purpose. It doesn't mean to, to say that there's not some value to it, but it's not what it's supposed to be without them working together again for a person's testimony, not before God, but before man. He says it is the declaration or the profession of faith that works in, con in connection with our works that makes our faith, our, our declaration of faith, complete and perfect and whole. Now that's important. It is important that the believer understands some things doctrinally, not just in light of eternity, but doctrinally in light of our everyday lives. That's important. We may not have a real expression of excitement about it this morning, but that's important. Why is that important? Okay, well, let, let's deal with some doctrine real quick. I've already touched on this, but I want us to see this. It's very important. When a person humbles themselves before God, calls out to God and says, God, save me, God, God, Save me from my sin. There's really no other way to say that. If a person humbles themselves before God, what are they in that instant, in that moment? They are justified before God, right? Okay. I want us to see this. It's so very important. Uh, once a person cries out to God for salvation, they don't have to do one thing after that to be saved. They are immediately justified and declared righteous in the sight of God, and that will never change. But that being the case, we have to live out our everyday lives in front of everyday people. And what we must always keep in mind is this, is that my actions and my profession, they need to be working together to complete what it is I profess to everyone around me about my relationship with God. So if I go out into the general public today and I say to someone, I am a Christian, you know what needs to be working with my profession of faith? My works. So that they complement and complete one another. If you go to the job site tomorrow and you say to your coworkers, or you've already said to your coworkers, that you are a Christian, that's good and that's fine. But you know what we have to see and you know what we have to discern and understand? We have to see and discern and understand that our works then need to work in connection with our profession of faith so that in their eyes, our faith that we profess is made complete and whole and perfect. We've got to realize this that the two work together, and without both of those in place, it is not at all what it's supposed to be. So this morning, I know we've already touched on this, I know we've already alluded to this to an extent, but I want us to think about this, that over the course of your life, you are going to have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of observers. Do you know this? You're going to have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people 
observe your life. And here's what they're going to do. Whether they would say it this way or not, here's what they're going to do. They are going to compare your profession with your works. And they will either justify you or they will not justify you in their own minds. It's just the way that it works. Whoever you come into contact with, if you let them know over the course of that relationship that you are a Christian, then here's what they will do. They will observe your life. They will observe your testimony. And here's what they're going to see. They're going to see whether or not your works line up with your profession. And they will either justify you or they will condemn you because of your actions in front of them. So there's something we need to ask ourselves. It's a very simple question, but we need to ask ourselves this this question. What kind of works are these people in my life seeing from me? Is that a fair question to consider? What are these people that I'm coming into contact with, what are they seeing in my life? Are these actions justifying me? Are they declaring me righteous? Or is it giving them reason to condemn me? Just think about this for a moment. Over the course of the last week, the people that you came into contact with, some of those people would be a part of the hundreds of people you have gotten to know over the years. What did they see in us this week? What did they hear from us this week? What did they take in by way of observation from our lives? Did they see our profession and our works working together and thus completing our testimony? Or did they hear a profession but see something that caused them to not be able to justify us or to declare us righteous as being genuine in our profession by how we live. Now, here's what I know. Okay, I understand this. I'm aware of this. And and I, I know this to be the case, that if somebody watches us long enough, we'll always give them some kind of an ammunition or some kind of ammunition to use against us, right? Is that fair to say? Some of us are going to blow it at least once at some point in our lives. Not everything is going to work together maybe as perfectly as it ought to complete one another. That's going to happen. But we need to ask ourselves then a couple of questions in light of that. How often do people see that coming from us because it ought not be a regular occurrence? You know, if you watch my interaction enough with Susie, at some point you'll see me do something or hear me say something that I probably shouldn't have said to her by by way of my interaction with her. But that's not how it should be on a regular basis. 
You know, if you see me get upset, you may see me respond in a way that I probably shouldn't have responded in that moment. But that's not how it should be on a regular basis. So if men and women justify us by their observations, seeing our works in connection to our faith, we've got to ask ourselves, what are they saying? And when we fail, how often are they saying it? Because that should not be a regular part of our everyday lives where we're just constantly blowing it. But we ought to ask ourselves something like this as well. When we do blow it, when we do mess up, when when we do fail to have our works work in agreement with our faith, our profession, whenever they see that happen... How do we respond in an effort to repair our testimony? Because if we're going to blow it, what do we need to do? We need to repair it. I'm not saying it'll fix everything. I'm not saying it'll patch everything. I'm not saying it'll make everything better. But there's a much better chance of reestablishing our testimony if we are willing to admit when we've blown it and ask people to forgive us even if they don't see the need to forgive us. Does that make sense? So I don't know what you're talking about. Think about this. If you've ever blown it at work, you might need to say to that coworker, listen, I'm sorry, would you please forgive me? They not, may not be a Christian at all. They may say, well, why would I forgive you? It's just it's important for me, maybe not for you, but it's important for me that you know I'm sorry and I want to make things right. It's good for our kids sometimes to hear us say, hey, listen, I blew it and I'm sorry and I want to make it right. It's good for our friends. It's good for whoever it may be that has seen us blow it, us trying to make it right because we want them to know, hey, we know we're not perfect, but as best we can, we want the actions to work with the works so that the profession of faith is made perfect or complete and whole in your mind so that you know that my testimony is real, that you know that my testimony is genuine. That should be important to us. And so this morning, I, I, listen, I don't know. I, I don't know if this has been kind of a, a sloppy approach to this. I hope it hasn't been. But, but, but here's James again saying, look at Abraham. Look at Rahab. And what did they do? They were declared righteous. They were justified, not in the eyes of God, but in the eyes of man. They were justified by their works, what they did in the eyes of those who witnessed them that day. He says, listen, fellow Jews, do you not understand this? Do you not see this? Faith and works work together. That's what completes it, and that's what makes it what it's supposed to be. just want to remind us this morning, If all we've got is a strong profession, but we don't have works, I'm not calling into question your salvation. I'm just saying this. If all we've got is the profession, but we don't have the works, your testimony is not complete like it ought to be. And if all you are are good works, but you don't have a clear testimony of salvation, 
then your testimony is not complete. If all you can do is look back over the course of your life and say, well, you know, I've been a good person and I've tried to do right and I've been, I've been kind, I've been nice, I've been polite, I've always been a hard worker. I really don't know that I've ever trusted Christ as my Savior. I don't know that there's ever really been that time where, where I confessed my sin and I repented and I, I looked to Christ alone to save me. Then, friends, your salvation or your testimony is not complete because the two have to work one with another to make it complete. I desire, and I think many of you desire, to be justified in the eyes of those who see us in our daily lives. I want people who come into contact with me, like I'm sure you want people to come into contact with you, I want people, when they get to know me, to be able to walk away and say, that man is the real deal. All you've got to do is watch. All you've got to do is observe. And you will see that he is what he says he is. I want that. But I cannot lose sight of the fact that faith without works is dead. To anyone who would watch. Faith without works is dead. They work together. And if they're not working in unison with another then the picture is not complete as it was designed to be. What are they saying? How often are they saying it? And when we fail, how quickly are we trying to make things right so as to reestablish the testimony we're trying to have in the eyes of the lost? Let's all stand this morning and bow our heads for prayer. Fathers, I come to you this morning, I pray that you'd help us to realize just how important not only our profession of faith is, but our works and how they work one with another. God, would you help us to see, as I've already tried to lay out this morning, that one without the other makes an incomplete, imperfect picture presented to the lost, to those around us. So, Lord, would you help us to see that in order to be justified, to be declared righteous in those who would observe us. The actions have to be there as much as the profession. I pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.